Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This episode mentions suicidal ideation as well as 9-11 and pandemic-related depression. There's lots of healing and humor as we talk, but use your discretion. Edit audio. So I'm on the phone with one of my mentors, Claudette. She is a badass. She's just a powerful lady. But most importantly, she's the type of person who, when you are talking to her, you just know she can see right into your soul. Probably like the way Oprah is when you talk to Oprah. And because of that, when I'm talking to her, I always feel like she can see past all the bullshit. Like she can see my deepest, darkest fears and not that, oh, I'm so together thing that I'm putting out for everyone else to see. So I'm on the phone talking to Claudette. And I'm telling her how I'm struggling, you know, about ups and downs with food addiction and intimacy. And she's sharing and I'm sharing. And I think, oh, this is so cool. Like Claudette understands me. She's where I am. I am not alone. And then she says, oh, hey, Robin, I'm going to put you on hold for a second. And I I don't think anything of it. I mean, this is an important lady. She's probably got to get another call. So I'm, you know, twirling the phone thing around my finger. And then she clicks back on and she says, I've conferenced you in with the self-help place. You two should chat. And then she clicks off and I'm all, wait, what? And I hear, hi, Robin, in that therapist tone. So I guess my friend thinks I need some help. Hello, folks. I'm Robin Hopkins, and this is Well Adjusting, where I talk to people about life stuff, but, you know, not in an NPR way, more like a we're at the bar, we're having cocktails, and I am getting into your business sort of way. Oh, we love a cocktail. Oh, and producer Steph is here, too. Oh, yeah. Hi, that's me. Today we chat, well, when it's time to get help. All right. Today's guest is Aurora. She is a lady that I have known for a number of years. And it's not that I don't want to say the number, but I'm not gonna because it's going to make me feel old. So we're just going to move on from that. She is smart, no nonsense. And she and I once had an absolute screaming match fight in a bar. No punches were thrown, but I did get really mad and I shattered a glass on the ground and it was very seriously dramatic. And then, of course, we both stopped the fight, looked at each other, burst into laughter, and then went about our night, which was a blast, by the way. Now, Aurora is on my podcast trying to answer the age-old question, do I need therapy or can I just fix myself if I know why I feel bad? Now, keep in mind, we are the type of people who had a loud fight in a bar, so this interview's real talk with some blunt comments and some pushy advice, but there is loads of respect and love. So let's get to it. 
I'm Aurora. I was born in New York, but I was raised in South Florida. I am first generation American. My Both of my parents are immigrants, um, Latin American immigrants. And I came back to New York in my 20s. And that's where I met Robin. That's me. When you called me about this podcast, I was like, oh, my God. You were trying to be no right out of the gate. You you were like, you were like, no, I, I was like, know. no, no, no. I was like, oh, my God, Robin is staging an intervention for me. <laughs> <laughs> like she's like she's like. And I want to do it on a podcast. No, no. I thought you were using the podcast as like a way to get me into a room, like a private room in Brooklyn. To be like, you need help. With like 20 of my friends and like, remember our conversation? I really think you need to go to therapy. And like, we love you and we care about you. And (laughs) I can't watch you hurt yourself any longer, Aurora. (laughs) You understand, like, I'm going to do a podcast that's going to discuss like mental health and who is the foremost expert on mental health? My friend, Aurora, like it was just like, oh, this is this is this is a setup. This is a setup. This is sus. I don't believe this it. This is sus. Oh, my God. You're my 11 year old son. <laughs> when Aurora and I were first talking about this, we're having drinks. And then you started to tell me a story about 9-11, like the first time you got scared about yourself. I think there's like a kind of a broader story to that. I think like throughout, I I don't know if I like suffered from like depressive um, phases in my life, but I can say very specifically that when I was 17, 18, I had an eating disorder. So Mm -hmm. I obviously was going through something during my life at that time. So I thought that was like the lowest I was ever going to feel. And I kind of pulled myself out of it thanks to like a really good community of people and friends that took care of me and I felt supported and I felt strong enough to kind of make the right decisions. But I I kind of thought like that was the worst that I was ever going to feel. And even at that time, I didn't have any kind of like suicidal ideation. Like it was much more of like, um, you know, I don't want I'm not an expert on eating disorders, but it was much more of like an internalization of of the pain that I was maybe feeling at that time or a way to control things that were outside of my control. Sure, sure. Um, But after 9-11 happened, um, I remember sitting down at lunch with a bunch of my coworkers and I was telling them how I thought that it affected me. And I was telling them that like I kind of had a hair trigger and I, you know, I felt emotionally things were happening that I felt weird about. But it went a lot deeper than that. Um, I feel like the first six months after 9-11 this sounds silly, but I couldn't wear any shoes other than sneakers because I thought that I would have to run away from a crumbling building. And I kind of like intellectualized it and was like, well, I'm just being practical. Making jokes. No, no, not even being, I'm kind of being flippant about it, but like I seriously would not put on uncomfortable shoes. And for me, this is like, you know, if you talk about the fight or flight response and how, I, I feel like I'm one of those people like under trauma, I get very, um, high functioning and then six months later i'm like processing it yeah totally so those six months i was like this is really weird like i'm having anxiety about leaving the house with shoes other than sneakers because i might need to you know run away from a crumbling building and And did anybody tell you that's not normal or did you or you were processing yourself no i i think i I would tell you i don't think anybody told me that wasn't normal and i thought um i think everybody was kind of going through the same thing or just like yeah man shit sucks it was really the first time that I understood or kind of was ex- 
exposed to the term like post-traumatic stress and trauma and how it kind of rewires your mind. And you think like you're fine and you kind of go through the motions every day, but certain things like your patience might be triggered really quickly and you might be like a little bitey with people where normally things would brush off your shoulders. So I was noticing things. People were a little bit more prickly. People were, there was a little bit more tension hanging in the air that people weren't really talking about because you kind of just have to get on with your day. And 9-11 was one day. Um, Of course, it was followed by a war, but it was kind of one day that people had years to process. And once it was done, there was this you know, there's a ritual every year. We have the, you know, anniversary where we kind of mourn the dead. There was a a grieving process. Whereas with the pandemic and with all of the things that are happening politically, it's like every day we're going through another 9-11. Shootings. And and we don't shootings. And and granted, a lot of people have been struggling for a really long time, but it just seems at a really mass scale everyone is going through some kind of trauma every single day and nobody seems to be coming to terms with how am I going to start? You don't even know when you can start healing because we're still going through the trauma. (laughs) It's like you kind of have to have like a moratorium on the trauma so you can start processing what you went through, you know? So it's funny because when you brought up the 9-11 thing, we were working together at the time. And I remember I thought I was getting better and then a plane crashed and and it was like, holy fuck. And we were all, and like immediately we were all right back there. And also there was that big blackout. And do you remember the receptionist on our floor, which by the way, the receptionist in theory should be a calming voice for, she was running around. It's a square, sure it was that a square wasn't floor. Me? I believe you were a part of it, <laughs> but it was a square floor and she was running around going, we're all going to die. Run. Robin, I'm pretty sure that was me. I mean, <laughs> Like, I remember very clearly doing the 360 yeah, yeah. and be like, uh-uh, because it's were, the whole Northeast Corridor. Because yeah, we were sure it was terrorism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so it's like, you're right. It is just bubbling underneath. Yeah. Um, I was having nightmares all the time. And um, because of all of those nightmares, one of my friends gave me like a bag of Xanax. Sure. I've never taken Xanax before. Um, I still, to this day, have never taken a Xanax, but they were like, take half of these. And by the way, know. like, it's nice of your friend to, you know, to try to do a solid, yeah. but like, that's you not don't give the them answer. a bag. Yeah, 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 you don't yeah, give yeah somebody, like, somebody's telling they're depressed, you don't give them a bag of Xanax. Yeah. Let's not do that. Yeah. And I'm not, um, you know, no judgment. I'm not a drug user. I'm not a prescription drug user. Um, so I just kind of held on to them. And I was having a particularly bad day. And um, I looked at the bag of Xanax and I was like, I had this like what I would call like an intrusive thought. I thought, how many of those would I have to take to not wake up again? And just having that thought, it kind of slapped me in the face. And I was like, okay. I don't know what I'm capable of. I need to throw these away. So I literally at that moment, I opened up the bag and I flushed it down the toilet. And I hear thousands of people right now screaming, you what? Well, because they want the Xanax or because you're not supposed to flush. (laughs) You flushed a bag of Xanax down the toilet? I did. That's worth thousands of dollars (laughs) on the black market. I know. Who knows? You know, and I never took one, but it was just like a wild thought to even think. But for me, I was like, okay. This isn't good. Um, This thought isn't good. And I can maybe intellectualize the idea of being practical and wearing sneakers. So I have to run away from things like New York's kind of a a target for different Mm -hmm. 
countries. So maybe that's a logical thing and maybe the nightmares I'll get over it. But suicidal ideation to me is a sign. That's a flag that something's not okay. And that was kind of the first time in my life that I thought, um, not only would it be good to have a therapist right now, like it would have been good to have a therapist for many months so that I had them on call when I had so you this could be thought. like, I need to see it twice. Yes. It's like, this is where we're at. Exactly. We're, we're at level orange. Yeah. And that was the moment that, I, and I think this is what we were talking about, that kind of changed my perception on therapy. I think. You weren't open to it before that? Um, I was kind of, ra- I have a much older sister, but we weren't raised together. So I was pretty much an only child. So I kind of learned how to process my grief and kind of how to intellectualize or find ways to like cope with my trauma and grief um, on my own. own. And it had worked so far. And I was like, I overcame an eating disorder by myself. Like I I could do exactly, exactly. And I never like judged or begrudged anyone for having therapy. I thought people needed it. I just thought, and maybe this is my ego talking. I was like, I know how to handle my brain. Like yeah. I I know. You're like I'm emotionally intuitive. Yeah. I have this. And I feel like for the most part for most of my life that's been the truth, but then I think there are moments of extreme trauma, extreme grief where if you don't have a safety net, then you're just going to fall mm-hmm. on the cement. And that kind of changed my perspective like maybe having a therapist isn't about I need one every day or I can't cope and I can't get through life without a therapist every day. Maybe it's about having someone to, who knows without bias your whole life history. So when you do have those really big moments of weakness, um, you have someone to call. You know, It's kind of like having your primary doctor so that when you have like one kind of weird thing happen, you know, it's not like you going into the ER blind with someone that doesn't know anything about you. You know, you kind of have someone that knows your health history and knows kind of how to manage you through that. So that kind of changed my perspective. Having said that, that was in 2001. I still haven't I was going to say, I was going to say, I was going to say, but did you know? <laughs> no, I didn't. I right. didn't. Okay. So before, because I do, I do want to talk about like, like, that's exactly what we talked about, right? But before I say that, I, I have to ask like, what stopped you from going then? Just the idea that you felt like you had it and you could do it? Um, I think in 2001, while I knew people that had gone to therapy, I don't think it was as, not, not to say common, but it wasn't, um, mental health I don't think was as openly discussed mm-hmm. as it, it is was right not. now. It, it wasn't. was not. So there I was th- definitely some shame around it or like, oh, you're seeing therapy like you're going you're in therapy. What's, what's what's wrong? Yeah, I feel like maybe bringing it up in order to find a therapist, that whole kind of navigating a path to seeing a person would have been challenging. There wouldn't have been enough people. There's not enough resources out in the world. There wasn't like social. Now you have TikToks that talk about attachment, you know, styles. And like you have thousands of books and and people are talking about it all over the place. And I feel like anywhere you turn right now, you could be like, I need to see a therapist. Do you have any recommendations? I, I can like think of 20 people that I could probably find that can help me out with something like that. Whereas back then, it was harder. You it was have, harder. Like, depending internet, on, you didn't have yes. online therapy. You didn't have yeah. any of that. Yeah. And there wasn't the normalization. Yeah. There's, okay. there's the normalization of it right now, I think, is amazing. I think part of it 
is a little dangerous because you have a lot of people self-diagnosing. But mm-hmm. um, I think another part of the fact that it's so normalized makes it really easy to talk about it without getting those kind of judgmental questions. Right. Like if you ask somebody for a therapist back then, they'd be like, oh, what's wrong? What yeah. Do, yeah, you yeah. know, how do you feel? You know, they want to get in. Whereas now they'd be like, oh, I've got five people you could talk to. Like and right. no one's trying to get well, into there, there was a stigma, too, about like about being a person who's in therapy. Right? So you weren't talking about it as openly as as people are today. I don't know that I thought there was a stigma. I don't know that I necessarily judge people that went to therapy, but there is, and I don't know how to define it. There is a sense of like, oh, those are different people. That's not me. Yeah. Yeah. The people that need therapy. Yeah. But I'm not judging It doesn't have to mean you're judging. It's just like, it's a, I mean, somebody's going to write in and be like, that is exactly what it means, Robin. (laughs) But I wonder, you know, you brought up being first generation. Yeah. Did that impact you? Like, in your family, was it a world where, like, you should get help, Aurora? Yeah. Um, I can't say that it was a stigma in the sense of, like, only these kind of people get therapy. I don't think that was, like, verbally articulated. I don't think that's something that was, like, discussed. I think instead, um, and I can't speak for all immigrants, but my experience is, you know, if you have two parents that have struggled for so much of their life and they came from a dirt kind of poor upbringing and now they come to the United States they're actually able to buy a house and get a car and they're like you got three meals a day you took dance classes like you are living like a queen yeah so for them they are incredibly successful parents they nailed it they nailed it and imagine all the things like it's hard to survive in this country speaking english imagine if you don't speak english and you have to be able to navigate like racism and like my parents didn't go to college one of them graduated high school the other one didn't so it's like can you imagine being able to navigate that and then also raise kids and and have them be successful and go to college so for them, they nailed it, but the priority isn't emotional fulfillment. Talking about your emotions, talking about how you feel is not something that was, you know, prioritized. Like, my dad was working two jobs, like, me- at many points of his life, yeah. you know, and my mom was working as well. My parents were making maybe $2,000 above poverty level, so they yeah. weren't making so little that they were eligible for food stamps, but it was, like, really kind of... And they were working at multiple jobs to get there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so there, the, so the idea that they're going to spend $250 a session, no, you know, that wasn't for you to go therapy no, is absurd. that's what church is for. Yeah. Like you have, Ooh. I mean, not just for religion, but like you have you a priest, a go come, yeah, yeah, go come yeah, of course. So I feel like they did the best that they could with what they knew. And we've all kind of evolved as a society and we kind of, I don't, I don't even know if this is anything that they taught me. But it just kind of bubbled up in my head. Um, I think growing up until 2001, I had this sense, and it's not that someone ever said this out loud to me, but that going to therapy was a luxury. And it wasn't something- It makes sense. And many times, like, what you learn isn't what's always said. It's the behavior. You know, your parents must have, I mean, if your dad's, like, working two jobs instead of taking support from- you know, food stamps or or what other programs are out there, that's a proud person. And and again, no judgment in that. Like you do whatever you gotta do in either scenario, but that's a proud person who's modeling, you got this, you do this, you do whatever it takes, and don't cry about it. Yeah. Like, so it makes sense. Yeah. So 
I think in 2001, when 9-11 happened, that kind of changed my mind on therapy. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey, friends. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think you are going to like. Okay, Bill Burke is the host of the weekly podcast, Blue Sky, where he interviews individuals tackling the world's most significant challenges with hope and optimism. Sounds right up your alley, right? Exactly what we thought. All right, it's brought to you by the Optimism Institute, which was also founded by Bill, to sprinkle a bit of positivity on your view of the future, especially with the media often showing us just the gloomier side of things. On Blue Sky, you're going to hear optimism about topics on everything from climate change and AI to homelessness and immigration and more, and they're offering diverse perspectives. You're going to finish each episode feeling brighter about the world and optimistic about our collective future. The name Blue Sky, well, it's inspired by a meditation prompt symbolizing the idea that beyond the clouds... There's always blue sky, encouraging a broader perspective. The Blue Sky Podcast is available for listening on all major podcast platforms, inviting everyone to look beyond the clouds and embrace a more hopeful view of the future. I'll tell you what, I'll be listening. So when we get together, we're now in global pandemic and you're having echoes, similar feelings. And are you still like, I'm I'm not going to do it. So when the pandemic happened, um, it's kind of like taking me back to like the day of 9-11. Like when trauma is happening, I have great coping mechanisms. I have great ways to kind of like propel me through the day. But I knew from a lifetime of experience that this is going to end up coming back to me and that this trauma isn't going to disappear. And my uncle passed away right around the time when there was like a backlog of many deaths happening in New York and they didn't have any place to Uh. put them and you couldn't find a crematorium and then crematoriums were like price gouging people. And, you know, I was like telling my family just, I have the money, just like take the money and then, It was more about the principle, like how dare somebody be priced. So it's like when all of this stuff was happening, I felt like I was very high functioning. I was figuring this all out and, you know, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to survive. It was like life and producer mode. Yeah. You're going to do the things for sure. And and while it was all happening, I'm like, oh, in like six months, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be fucked up. I'm a mess. Yeah. But then it's like the hits don't stop coming. I love that you like knew though that you were just like, yeah, no, this is going to get messy. I knew. I absolutely knew while it was happening. When he passed away, I was like, oh, yeah, 
in six months, this is going to be an absolute shit show in my head, in my heart, and for every other person that's like going through this. And it just like the hits kept coming. And then there was like January 6th. It seemed like every day something else was happening that was just completely yeah. life-altering. It's hard to find hope yeah. during a lot of it for many of us. Yeah. And then I think um, I knew at that particular moment that I need to figure out the therapy situation because I'm going to have to reckon with this. But then it became, I don't want to do this remotely. Like, I want to be able to do this in person. And now that we're kind of at a place that we can do this in person, now I'm like, you know, finding a therapist is really hard. Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. it's like, it's kind of like, dating you got to find the right person and so now i'm like oh wow i'm just like looking for excuses to <laughs> not do it I- i'm silently so nodding i I'm know that's nodding. kind of where i am right now which is why when we had that conversation and you called me to like be a part of this podcast i was like this is absolutely an intervention she <laughs> I, I I was like, <laughs> which Robin, by the way, anyone who knows me personally knows it's not out of the realm of possibility that not, I would do something like it's that. It's not. I, I was feel like, like a bad person that I didn't I, do that. I'm sorry. No, I didn't no, no. Um, I don't know if you know about Hispanic mothers, but I turned my phone off for like 24 hours because I just like needed a break. I have a bad addiction to Twitter. I like doom scroll and like I just needed to turn all of my electronics off and just have like a quiet. 24 hours and that was the day that my mother called me and because I didn't pick up the phone she sent um the police to my shut the fuck up <laughs> what is it called a health a wellness like a wellness check, check. <laughs> a wellness check so when she so, was like she's dead go go retrieve the body so i think maybe this is like a trigger like my mother did a freaking wellness check on me that's exactly maybe you called her and you talked to her and you're like oh we're going to do an intervention and when they opened the door and the police were there were you like are you okay. fucking kidding me so i opened up the door and I was like, what is going on? They're like, your mom called us and said she was worried about you, that you haven't answered did the you, phone. Did you tell them I shut my phone down for 24 it's exactly hours? What, and I got really pissy with them. And I was like, I am so sorry. I, all I did was turn my phone off for 24 hours. I cannot believe she's been threatening me since I was 13 years old that if I like didn't come home before curfew, she was going to call the cops. And I never thought she was going to do it. And I can't believe I am middle aged. I am perimenopausal. And I cannot believe she called the cops because I didn't pick up the phone within 24 hours. How embarrassing I am middle aged. And because I didn't just to have that conversation yeah. with another adult. Well, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Right. Yeah. to be like I didn't answer the phone in 24 hours so my mother called the cops like that is like the most humiliating and I like ripped into my mom for like two days about that but like secretly you know what the alternative is like to not have anyone give a shit she about cared. you like yeah. yeah she cared people care in the way yeah. that they know how to care yeah okay so where I want to go we started to talk about this I can't help and and I'm saying this with love, but I can't help but feel like I, you know, I, my phrase about lawn chairs about yeah. like a, that you're throwing you're I'm throwing totally, obstacles in your own totally way. doing that. Yeah, because my therapist Patricia said the trauma that was caused to you was not caused alone; it was caused in relationship, and it has to be solved in relationship. Yep. And I do understand that, like in my process of working with her, part of it was trust of letting someone in, and it was like over years I had to like open up to let her in of what I was willing to share with her, what I was willing to talk with her about, and 
I can't help but wonder if some of that stuff's in the way, too. Yeah. Okay, so I've got so much to say about this. My experience of 9-11 was an outside force attacked our country and our friends, our community are there to protect each other and and make each other feel safe. And then in 2016, that was like the first kind of big trauma, finding out that so many people that I loved and cared for um, were willing to vote for someone that didn't care about women, didn't care about marginalized communities. And that felt like a tremendous betrayal. When Trump got elected, it felt like the call was coming from inside the house. So when I think about going to a therapist, some of the things that hold me back is trust. Like, um, I need to trust that this person has my best uh, interests in mind. Like, how do I know that this person is going to validate my emotions and my feelings? And if I talk about my trauma and make myself vulnerable, how do I know that they're going to validate it and not gaslight me and be like, oh, this is all in your head. Actually, you're the problem. Like, I don't know that it's going to... I hope that it's going to ease my trauma. I hope that it's going to make things better. But that's the fear. The the fear of like, in 2016, I was betrayed by so many of the people close to me. How do I know that the stranger that I don't know for my entire life is going to like validate my fears and, and my vulnerabilities, like in the things that I've experienced and not say that it's your fault, you know? Well, you don't, but you... You have to trust your gut and you form relationships. I mean, how do you, how does one know that when we walk through the world, anyone's not going to, I mean, that's, that's part of the intimacy of allowing someone in to help. And you won't know unless you try. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, that's a lawn chair because you were like using that to not see if you can get past that. Cause you get past that making friends. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You would know if it wasn't right and you would stop calling. You're not being held hostage. Yeah. You're going to an office in Midtown. Yeah. This is just like an observation, but like, and it's also sort of a question, but it feels like you're very up here in the 30,000 foot yeah. view. And 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 in the 30,000 foot view for you is a lot of like, well, this could happen or this could happen <laughs> or this could happen or there could be a war or like, and it's all very big catastrophic thoughts. But like, what if you were to dial down into the thoughts of just like, there's really only four things I need to do. Maybe I ask some people for recommendations. Maybe I try somebody and I do a pre-phone call. And if I don't feel right about them, I never call them back. Like there's small things you Stop can do. Stop making but it easier for me, Robin. I'm just saying. I mean, that's, I'm, but that's, I'm saying you're so it. up no, here in it. the catastrophe. I'm you got to come down. Says Robin, 100% while I you were talking. I didn't say that she said it. While you were talking, I was thinking like what absolutely would be an easy doable thing is get five recommendations from five close friends. Like that's basically it done. I have to break it down to just one task at a time. So it's like for you, that's that first I'm five recommendations from five friends. And then just do that and then wait a week. And then what's your next step? Then your next step is make one phone call. Like you have to just, you got to like piece this out. I wish everyone could see Aurora's face right now because it's so like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I know, I know you're right. You're well, right. it, it, but the thing is, though, it, it's not it's not like a right or wrong. It's like and I'm glad you made that sound because it's like that's where we all are. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared of what I'm going to have to say. I'm scared of what it's going to bring up. But every time I I'm do it, I feel better. not scared of what I have to say. I am scared of not being validated. I'm scared of somehow, what does that mean? What does that mean to be validated? I'm scared of someone telling me like this is all your fault and you brought this all on yourself. Like, well, then they would be a very bad therapist. <laughs> Like, that's a yeah, very bad therapist yeah, that would yeah, say that. Yeah. 
I, I know people, I've talked to people that have said that they've had therapists that have gaslit them. And, and granted, in what I, way? Get me like, cause I don't even okay, really know what so that means this, in terms of therapy. Like you're great. I, or do for, you mean in the other way? I think it is valid to talk about the role that you're playing in the people that you bring into your life. Like if you find yourself always dating assholes, you know, what are you looking for that you always attract assholes? I feel like there's like, um, if I'm always attracting abusive men, am I seeking out abusive men as a sort of self-sabotaging behavior? Like, I think that's a valid argument to right. have. And there's a way to talk about there's that a without way to talk you feel about, Exactly. Wrong. So I feel like there's a way to talk about it. I think it's valid to have those kind of conversations, but maybe not having them up front, like right after you talk about your trauma or maybe, you know, like I, I think that it makes me nervous to talk to a therapist who might not be as good as... I would want them to be to navigate that trauma and cause me to re-traumatize myself. Sure. And maybe their intention isn't to gaslight me. Maybe their intention is to kind of help me see at a higher level what my actions and what, what role I'm taking in kind of my experience of the world. I think in spite of that fear, it would be helpful to try to move forward. Because if all possibilities exist in the world, that means that there's bad therapists who can hurt you and that's yeah. out there. But that also means that there's good therapists out there that can help you. And that I would I would say that maybe even part of this fear is part of your stuff you want to work through. I think absolutely 100% I am weaponizing this fear in order to um, keep myself from going to therapy. Like I'm probably amping it up and making it a bigger deal than it is. And I'm, I'm probably well, like, well, don't say hyper- that. Cause well, that I- means that you're bad and wrong. Like you're doing what you just don't want done to you. You're not bad and wrong. It's just, it's there and it exists and it's stopping you. Yeah. But yeah, you're not bad or wrong for it. I feel really comfortable saying that I am like leaning into it. Cause I'm kind of trying to be avoidant. I'm trying to not be vulnerable. I'm trying to not put myself in, in that position. So I'm, I'm not making excuses. I think my excuses are valid, but I'm I'm making it hard for myself because I'm trying to avoid uh, a challenging conversation. So I fully am aware of it and I admit it. Um, well, it doesn't make my day, concern less. Yeah, no, it yeah. doesn't. But at the end of the day, you are the one who doesn't get what you need yeah. and stays stuck or stays in the same trauma or stays in the same place or or still feels PTSD. The problem is, is I've been so good at it so far. <laughs> that no, you've, you've mentally, thrived. You've thrived in spite of trauma. But imagine how much more you could thrive yeah. if you had support. But I would want it to be someone that I know has my best intentions and this is the crux. Like with all the things that have happened in the world, like I don't know who has my best intentions. I'm thinking you're trying to like get me into an intervention. You're my friend and I trust you. And I'm having, tr- I'm yeah. have trust issues. Like I, I, I yeah. mean, we solved it. I, <laughs> I know we're all like, Wait, I, you know, the first thing I thought was like, you're trying to do an intervention. Like I fucking love talking about this shit. Cause this is like my brain all of the time. Like this is how I process my own kind of, grief and trauma 2001 the world is great i'm living my life i have the best job in the world i got great friends i think i'm safe and now my sense of safety is broken that's like trust like my trust that as long as i like do the right thing i will be fine but to know that your sense of safety and trust is is not what you think it is that was like probably not the first time that happened to me but that was like a big one yeah and then 2016 like 
my friends and family, I think they all care about the same things that I do. And then to find out there's so many people that voted for someone that cares so little about, you know, autonomy of women's rights of marginalized communities, that was a huge, again, betrayal. So it's like, you've had breach of trust, breach of breach trust, of breach trust of trust over and over and over again. How do I say now I'm going to take someone and I'm going to tell them the most yeah. intimate details of my life and trust them. And it's a not, stranger. It's a yeah. stranger. Yeah. And they're not going to somehow re-traumatize me with that. That is my blockage. And I feel like if I just say it out loud, if I find five friends that they really trust this person, then I will trust this person. But the concept of like going through and like interviewing therapists is I I'd, like I think I, that's the crushing, hardest part. Soul crushing. Um, I feel like what we're talking about right now is the idea of talk therapy, and I think um, something that I always thought I was very competent and capable of was doing talk therapy on myself, thinking about every single traumatic moment, everything that caused me grief, and breaking it down on a very kind of fundamental level, and maybe not being able to get past the grief, but at least find what my trigger points are and find ways to cope and navigate it in a healthy way. So I think that has been um, kind of my own version of talk therapy. But what I found is like, it has never lessened the trauma. It's never lessened the grief. It's just given me a mechanism to cope with my environment and the world and kind of... um process things and somehow move forward in a healthy way that's not self-destructive. What I respect about you, Aurora, is that you are really smart and that you do really want to to help yourself and you're scared and and because you're scared you're like so fucking resourceful. You're like, "Well, I will research it and I will be the lead therapist on team Aurora." But I do think that there is like I do think that there's going to be windows and things you're going to miss because you need someone else. You know, you can continue as you are and you'll have a, you'll have a good life. Mm -hmm. Your life isn't going to like all of a sudden be horrible, yeah. but it's not going to change. And there is a possibility of change if you move toward it in some way. That's all I'm saying. But I think you want to move it forward. Yeah. I, that's, I think you do. I, I think do. you're just nervous with good reason. Yeah. Whew. I don't know what you're going to get out of that. But. I mean, so much. Yeah. No, Aurora, this is a fucking, this is exactly like, I, you said this to me on the phone. You were like, I don't know why you want to have this conversation because you thought it was an intervention. Now I understand <laughs> that. But I was like, Aurora, this is going to be a great conversation to explore this topic. First of all, one, for you, like I didn't stage an intervention and now I wish I had just because I feel like I'd been a better friend. But I do think for you and for your life, it's good. But I also think like you said it a million times, we're all in this space right now. And yeah. you're you're not alone in this. Yeah. I just I just want to say thank you. And I, I really mean this. This is a really important conversation. You know how important I think it is. I think a lot of people are gonna benefit from you coming on and sharing a vulnerable thing, which everything you shared was you don't want to be vulnerable. So I think it's fucking great that you came and you talked. And I think it's gonna be super helpful. And by the way, by the way, and by the way. And by the way, my hot tip for today is this. If a thought about yourself or something bothering you keeps persisting or popping up for you over months or years or longer, that's your gut. That's your instincts, your subconscious, your dead loved ones poking you from beyond whatever you believe in. It's somebody telling you that you need to address this issue. So you might want to listen. 
I say set some deadlines for yourself for small, manageable steps forward toward addressing that nagging voice. It might be hard to do, but that voice is not going to go away. So you might as well address it. You got this. It's that time where we get a little advice from an expert in the field. Patricia is going to talk to you about when it's time to get a therapist. Hi, I'm Patricia Simcoe. I'm a psychologist, psychoanalyst in New York City. People get to make their own choices. We are not victims. You're here to live your life. You get to choose if you want to go to therapy or not. And if you say you want to go more than anything in the world, but you're not going, well, I would start right there. Well, you know, those two parts of the sentence don't really go together. I think all reasons for not going are legitimate, and all reasons for going are legitimate. I want to go to therapy to stop biting my nails. That's a fine reason to go to therapy. I want to go to therapy because my mother abandoned me at birth. Also a fine reason for going to therapy. People are here to live their lives, and I give people the respect of learning the lessons they need to learn in the time that they need to learn them. There are lots of ways to find a good therapist, especially now that you can do therapy on Zoom and you can get therapists from any place in the world if you want, and good therapists. But I still think that personal reference is the primary way that people can find good therapists. And many of them offer like a half-hour free consultation so you could see how it feels to you. If you call someone and they seem like a decent person or they, oh, you like the sound of their voice or they say something that's funny, anything that feels like, well, if this were somebody I was meeting for coffee just to chat about stuff, I would go again. That's a good sign that it feels like a friendly person. It feels like a person who strikes me as intelligent, who strikes me as empathic. Those are all very validating criteria. Now, I want to say that if someone has an issue that could require someone with specialized training, like trauma or grief or addiction, it would be important to find a specialist, and especially in trauma, because sometimes traumas are so horrendously unbelievable. So can you sort things out on your own? My answer to that is, of course, to some level of like, you could sort things out and come out here, or you could sort things out and come out here. It depends on where you land and if you're satisfied. Most people who try to sort things out, trauma especially, who try to sort that out on their own, find that they go through the same filters of subjectivity each time, so they're not really getting anywhere. They're just circling. The person who's traumatized needs to find someone who can create co-create a safe space to allow the truth of a person's experience to emerge in its own time, in its own way, and with a therapist who's able to read the client accurately. That is wonderful advice. And Patricia also said, therapy may or may not be for you. That is ultimately up to you to decide. There are many ways to feel better, to heal. But if at the end of the day, you are not happy, not satisfied with where you're at, feeling down, blue, depressed, or hopeless at a deep level, you might consider therapy as a way of changing the mindset, opening new options, revealing deeper truths within, and forming a unique relationship with someone who can accompany you and help you on this journey. See, 
This is why we brought her in as an expert. Okay, folks, that is it for today. But before we go, I want to say so many thanks to Aurora for sharing with us today, even when she was afraid I was pulling a Claudette and doing an intervention, which is still hilarious to me. And thank you to Patricia for her very smart and accredited thoughts on the topic of when to get help. For more Robin, and you may need that, you may not need that, but if you do, you can follow me at Real Rob Hops on all the platforms. Well Adjusting is an edit audio original, exec produced by Steph Colburn and Robin Hopkins. Thank you to Maria Passingham, Kathleen Speckert, and the whole edit audio team. Oh, hey, before you take out those AirPods, this show is just for entertainment. If you are in need of help, please, please, please reach out to a professional. Go ahead and get that help. You deserve it.